Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 84 with my friend, Kat Johnson. You guys, this was really nice uh, sitting down with Kat. She is one of the people that I have met through being sober and the community that we built because of that. And I'm really excited that I get to share this time with you and you get to hear about Kat's life, which is uh, just an amazing story of, of overcoming and, and loss and, and recovery. And I, I love it. I love it so much. And you're going to love it too, which is why I'm not going to waste any more time and give it, give you over to my friend, Kat. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? Anyway, anyway, sidetracked. Sorry. Thank you. Um, so born and raised in California. What part of California were you in? Um, Irvine, California. It's Southern California. It's, um, maybe 20 miles from, um, the beach and yeah, I mean, super safe city. Um, like I grew up with the same kids from, you know, kindergarten all the way till I graduated yeah. high school. And then even some, I stayed local in college and like it was, we all knew each other, knew each other's families and um, siblings. Yes. I have um, an older sister. She's three years older and a younger sister who actually passed away in 2000. She passed away 2013. And yeah. how far apart in age are you guys? Uh, she was three years younger than me. Yeah. I'm so sorry. That's, that's, that's pretty big. That's rough. Yeah, it definitely is rough. Um, plays a huge part in my story though. So, um, the further I get along, um, I'm sure it will unfold and, (laughs) um, a lot of healing, a lot of healing though for me and my family. And how much, how much older is your older sister? Uh, she's three years older than me. Oh, so you got three on both sides growing up, huh? You're, you're yeah, like, yeah. or do you feel like the definition of a middle child? Like, do you relate to middle child? Oh things? my God. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. <That's> so funny. <laughs> Black sheep, scapegoat, forgotten child. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I was the one who, my sisters were dancers. They were hula dancers. Um, Southern California is very, you know, like materialistic surface level, you know, that's kind of what we're known for. And, um, here I am like the middle child who's pretty chubby. I was a chubby kid. And, um, I remember like my mom tried to get me to dance hula with them and I put on this little coconut bra and I looked down and I had like a fat roll hanging over my coconut bra and I just like started bawling and like I'm never dancing hula again like I don't want to be like any of these girls and um so yeah I don't know I was I just always felt like um not a part of from a very young age well I imagine Southern California comes with its own stigma when it comes to body image growing up there um and I, I mean, I've spent yeah. a little time there, but very, very little in, in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, you, there's a reputation in in L.A. and Orange County and um, especially surrounding body image and what you should look like as a woman. And I'm sure oh, that's yeah, got to play totally. a subconscious role regardless. How old were you when all when that happened? I was dancing hula from maybe six. I was probably like eight years old. Okay. Where did where did hula dancing like, come from? Is that just um, family? Well, my mom is um, Pacific Islander. She's okay. Filipino. Okay. So um, we had a lot of like could re- really like find our place in that community. It felt very like the islands, right? Yeah. <laughs> like that was yeah. you know. So yeah. Um. Do you have early memories of like your younger sister being born and and you guys kind of growing up as infants with your older sister and your younger sister? Um, you know, 
I just started ACA about six months ago. And the more I do this work, the more memories are coming back. I had a very dysfunctional um, upbringing. Uh, My dad was undiagnosed mental health, um, schizophrenia, bipolar schizophrenia. And at the time, we didn't know that. So it just seemed like he had anger issues. He was crazy. You know, all these labels. Like, Well, that's a big undiagnosed. Yeah, that's. Right. Yeah. And my mom, being a first-generation immigrant, and maybe the Times, I don't know, I feel like mental health is more widely talked about. But it just, yeah, it just was like he is a terrible person, but he was really, like, struggling. It was getting bad. Um, You know, there is my mom and him domestic abuse, you know, yelling, fighting the whole nine yards. Like that is what, so a lot of my childhood was blocked out really. Um, my earliest memories are about eight. Um, you know, I have flashes of their divorce and how bad it was. Um, but the good memories don't really start till about eight years old. How old were you Um, when they got divorced? My mom left him when I was about five or six okay i mean that's a young period to have a lot of memories anyway typically but yeah add in the the trauma of of a toxic divorce doesn't help anything um right (laughs) what was your what was the custody agreement when when the girls and you and your sisters and, and your dad and your mom um he well he was uh i don't know the whole like technical agreement they came to, but he was out of here. He didn't want to pay child support. He didn't like, you know, he was like kind of, it was always very, so I'm learning about it in my recovery, but the family dynamic is what unfolds later on is I am always competing with my mom for the love, the attention. And it's always like the men in my mom's lives were always, um, there for her like we weren't a part of the thing so like my dad was obsessed it was like an obsession with my mom every stepfather i had after that it was an obsession with my mom and then it was just the kids that were kind of like you know (laughs) like just throw them in there (laughs) kind of just dismissed by by the by the boyfriends and stepdads and yes so i coped by a you know I was a neighborhood, what do they call them? Um, A neighborhood rat kid. Like I was always on my bike. I never wanted to be home. I grew up with my neighbors. Like my best friend was telling me the other day, um, because I'm asking people like stories and memories of me so I can get these memories back. And I asked her like, how did we meet? And she goes, it was second grade. And you came up to me and you're like, I need somewhere to go this weekend. Um, who's going to have me over? Like I was a pretty bossy kid. And um, she's like, you can, you can come over to my house. And that was like the beginning of this beautiful friendship. Yeah. <laughs> that's, all, that's funny. Yeah. It's, it's really strange to get yeah. that from, from people and what other people remember about you when you're a kid. And cause especially if you're, and I can relate to you not having memories at that early age. Cause same, <laughs> but yeah, when people are telling, yeah. oh, yeah, remember on the bus you used to blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I barely remember riding the bus, let alone this specific story you're telling me. Like, what? That's uh, that's right. really funny. It's cool that you're diving into that now. I'm sure that's been both fun and maybe eye-opening. Uh, oh, totally. It's really <laughs> eye-opening. <laughs> so what what's your relationship like with your sisters during all this? Because I know, you know, if you have kind of a toxic home that can go both ways where you guys all do your own thing or you kind of protect one another. I imagine as the middle child, you might've tried to like keep the peace a little. At the time it was awesome. Like we were running buddies. My sister was a senior when I was a freshman. So I got to go to all the senior parties, you know, and then, you know, she moved away to Santa Barbara. I'd be taking the train, which Santa Barbara is like a huge party, like college town. And I would take the train up and party and do drugs out there. Um, And it was great, you know, for a teenager, like to like get the in like that and like uh, be hanging out with the older kids. 
but you know now that I'm older I see where that could be an issue (laughs) you know doing molly at um 13 years old and yeah yeah Uh, and I did the same with my little sister you know I I threw house parties and um I was not a good uh, role model by any means have you and not to like jump ahead, but have you forgiven yourself for that being that you didn't have a good role model to base that off of? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've definitely forgiven myself for that. I think that through, you know, my, my belief with the grieving process is I really, what really helped me feel like I've grieved that whole situation is that I found purpose and, um, you know, recovery gives me the purpose to help girls that were her age when she passed away. So like, I think without that, I wouldn't be able to forgive myself or, yeah. and move forward. Um, but it definitely lessens the blow, you know? So. Well, you mentioned yeah. uh, doing Molly at 13. Like, did you, when did you start diving into drinking and, and drugs? Like how early on did that happen? And was that just like, uh, a... I had my... go ahead. Sorry. Um, no, that's fine. Uh, I had my first drink of alcohol when I was 11. So okay. I started pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember it like clear as day. I, um, I had a friend who lived over in Newport. I asked, like, I, I love talking and talking people into doing things they didn't want to do. I was very manipulative from the start. Like, um, I, I told her, go steal your parents, Captain Morgan, let's go drink it. And then, um, and she did it. And next thing you know, we're like, we're 11 years old and we're running down the street with like our tops off. Like, I'm pretty (laughs) sure it was my idea, but like, yeah, yeah, totally. Like it, it was the age of, um, like Snooki and JWoww and all those shows on MTV. And that yeah. was the content that I was watching and like what I wanted to be. Yeah. Go, go so, back to role models. Yeah. There. <laughs> That's yeah. Not, not great. Um, I'm curious where, I don't know if you've, you've done any work on this or thought about it, but where that came from, where you loved getting people to do things and, and manipulating them. Was that an issue with like, you were in control in that situation and that was something you were looking for or oh yeah i i mean it's back to my family roots i mean i saw my mom is a changed woman today i'll tell you that but you know she has done there's a good there's a part where i really appreciate the things she did now but we were struggling we're lower middle class didn't have a lot of money um, she did what she had to do to support three girls, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, was it the most, um, <laughs> you know, did it have a lot of integrity involved? No, not really, but she, she did it, you know, yeah. she was a single mom and, um, she was stealing from target to get us diapers and food. And I remember she got caught one time with like me and my sister in the cart and like, she got arrested and all of this stuff in front of us. And, you know, I, she's married men for money, you know, um, a lot of greed, a lot of, that was the environment, um, that I was brought up in. Yeah. Did any of that abuse that you saw her in dear, like, did any of that trans transfer to you and your sisters? Um, you know, yeah, there's some stuff that's being uncovered right Mm -hmm. now. Um, yeah, in I don't my wanna, personal story, I don't want to push it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, there, there's some stuff coming to the surface. I always, it's, I'd much rather come out of the denial, you yeah. know, have the veil lifted. That's why I keep digging. Um, cause I, I know I'll get healthier yeah. if I do. <laughs> so I, yeah, I have the same, um, uh, I have the same point of view. I, it's, I'm constantly trying to uncover stuff. Highly recommend EMDR yeah. if you haven't done that before. Um, I have. I love EMDR. Yeah, that that opened up just worlds of things for me. <laughs> I, I want to like learn about it as a therapist and 
get deeper into it but anyway tangent yeah no <laughs> emdr no i love the topic of emdr um i don't know if we talked about that but i would love i don't know it's just crazy how they can override that those mental blocks that we put up yeah anyway sorry so went off on a tangent uh so you're you start drinking early you're starting to do drugs with your sister your older sister what does what does that look like like once you get to high school and your social life i mean looking back is it something that's like you describe as out of control or were you just were you still were you still like doing everything school wise and everything but then also just partying or what did that look like um so i had these rules from you know we talk about it in program like switching from beer to wine, you know, only drinking in the day or only drinking at the nighttime, <laughs> only drinking with people, you know, we we'll always make these rules. Yeah. And for me, it's funny because I started making rules for myself. Don't ever go to school effed up, you know, don't ever let my drinking and drugging friends mix with my preppy geeky friends. I was very good at that. Um, I, I would go to the high school across the city where I would do all my partying and then I would come back to, you know, my friends and be winter formal princess and get good grades. And, you know, you were living two lives. I was totally living two lives. Yeah. Um, Which is so crazy now that like you put it that way. Cause yeah, yeah. It's just, (laughs) Cause that's what my mom did. It's like, it's very, my mom is my mirror almost. And that was kind of the road I was like, we mirrored each other very much. Um, I was, but you know, it's so hard to keep double lives like separated. It's so exhausting. And eventually they, my two worlds collided and what was it like? I got my first DUI when I was 16 and then, um, and then my boyfriend broke up like codependency is like right up there with my alcoholism it's built in baby so, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah um writing strong together um so when my boyfriend broke up with me my first my first love or whatever um everything just fell apart like i didn't care anymore i didn't care about keeping the two separate didn't care about college you know I was still like a pretty good athlete which is why I got away with a lot of stuff um they needed me to compete but it was yeah I I was so skinny by my senior year I um, was exhausted and I was nodding out in my honors English class and I had a teacher like take me out of the classroom and say like are you on drugs like you can tell me she was like a really cool like I think about her all the time I wish I would have told her like yeah I need help you know but I did it and I lied and I said no I'm not on drugs I'm just so tired like this class is right after lunch like (laughs) why are you asking me these questions (laughs) Um, well I imagine you didn't really know that you needed help at that time no yeah no I didn't but, I wish, I wish like, I don't know. Yeah. What did you do? You said you were an athlete in high school. What did you do for athletics? Uh, so I was a goalkeeper in women's soccer. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I did that. Is that when... the proper name? Have I been saying goalie all along and been wrong? <laughs> Is it called goalkeeper? Uh, Is that the same thing? I, I have a lot of English friends and they call it a keeper. So I think I kind of... <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, oh, I'm sure you would know better than me. Yeah. I, I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> a goalie. A, yeah. Goalie works. Yeah. Um, now I feel like the most yeah. white American ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> good to know, though. Uh, <laughs> okay. So you were doing that. And it, I mean, it sounds like when you say honors English, like even if you're falling asleep, you're still in honors English. So you're doing stuff. You're, you're balancing stuff to some degree, it sounds like. Um yeah. Um, I mean, I was in honors French, honors English. I, 
I also had another rule. It was like, if I can get by with a C, then I'm good. <laughs> like, as long as I passed, you know, everything was just bare minimum. I thought I was the luckiest person in the world that at this part of my story, I felt unstoppable. Like I could get away with anything. Yeah. Um, there was that side to me. And um, yeah, I did the bare minimum to get by. What's your relationship I, look like with your mom during high school? Oh my God. Terrible. We, yeah. We hated each other. Like, I know that's a strong word, yeah. but if there was a stronger word, I would use that <laughs> one. Like, yeah. I, I, poor woman. Like I really, there's, there's a point in a story, right. Where you choose to be the villain. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like, if I can't be good, then I'm just going to be bad. And that's exactly what I did. I was like, I was blaming everyone, biggest victim, um, uh, especially her, right? And she was the problem. She was the reason my life was like this, blah, 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 blah. And um, so, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't really care. What about your sisters? <laughs> Um, how, how was their relationship? No, your relationship with them during, during that time, like during high school and. Yeah. Um, me and my sisters were like very hot and cold. Um, either we're the best buddies or like, get away from me. I will throw this kitchen knife at you, <laughs> which did happen <laughs> a couple of times. So. Through a, <laughs> through an antique iron at my brother's head once it mm. missed. Thankfully at best, because probably would be, yeah. probably would have murdered him. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> usually that's how that works, right? Siblings, good old siblings. Um, yeah. So, high school ends, everything works out that way. I'm assuming graduate on time and everything. I did. I graduated on time. Um, I, I never had, you know. Uh, someone to guide me through I had the grades to go to college which is what I wanted to do yeah. you know um, but I didn't have anyone guiding me in that process I was um, you know sending my own emails to soccer coaches at UC Santa Barbara they wanted to come like check me out they wanted me to go to this um, soccer camp but like I'm this like drug addict kid with no like direction and no parental <laughs> like figure in my life so um i i think i asked my mom like mom like this this coach like responded like i really want to go but money was an issue right so um i ended up going to a local community college and i was just so pissed off by all of it it was like right next to one of her boyfriend's houses and um I wasn't driving because I got my driver's license taken away and um, yeah, I, I did terrible in college. <laughs> Not a surprise. Yeah. But, Which is, yeah. it's, it's almost ironic to look back uh, and think about like you would, you would have been like uh, an athletic scholarship was an option. Your, your mom's first generation immigrant to the country. Like you have, you have a lot of things that like, I feel like show up pretty good on college applications, honors classes in multiple disciplines. Um, but then, yeah, you just don't have that person, which is an unfortunate, like you don't even have like a school counselor that was going to bat for you. And you know what? It wasn't, it was me. It was really me. I was, um, I didn't let anyone in. I couldn't. I was so closed off to authority figures. So just stand, standing uh, in your own way a little bit. 100%. So after school, you're going to college, you're don't have your driver's license. What's the timeline look like with your sister? My little sister, she was, Oh my God. She was so awesome. She was life of the party. She was hilarious. Like every, she had so many friends. She's so, like, just, she was super popular, super pretty girl, um, and we would just go to parties together, and, um, you know, what happened? So, I graduated, and 
my me and my sisters did look out for each other, you know. Yeah. But when I graduated high school, she had seen so much, and I no longer am there. I did look at after at parties and stuff like that, and then I um, went to college. I met someone, which ended up being an extremely abusive, toxic relationship, and I kind of lost touch with my family. And um, my little sister was in her junior year, and um, you know, I was. Gosh, I, I'm trying to think how to tell it, but. Uh, no, take your time. she was getting in trouble she was already getting in trouble a lot you know um me and her our stories looked very very similar on probation in high school um juvenile delinquents you can say and she she was yeah i'm not gonna say i hate that phrase hanging out with the wrong crowd what what is that yeah. um it's just like lost kids right um so yeah, it was the night going into her senior year. She's she loved smoking weed and like hanging out at the park because that's what you do in Irvine. You hang out at the park. You know, there's nowhere to really yeah. Well, I guess every kid and we yeah. drink at the park. And um, I'm at home and I get this call on September. What was it? September. I want to say it was September 9th of 2013. I get a call. It's for my little sister, and she asked me, like, hey, Kat, what are you doing? Um, I'm with this group of people. I don't feel comfortable. Um, can you come get me? And, uh, you know, at this point, I'm pretty deep into my addiction, and obviously driving drunk is not an issue for me. But for some reason that night, I said, um, I can't get you tonight, Liz. Her name's Lizzie Marie Elizabeth. Um, I said, I can't get you tonight. I've been drinking and I was like, if you can find a ride over to my apartment, you can spend the night or you can just go home. You know, you're right next to the house. Just go home. She's like, okay, whatever, whatever. Um, and my little sister, we all struggle with mental health issues. Um, it's all undiagnosed at this time, but she gets in the car with these older it was actually kids in my grade that I had graduated with. She gets in the car with them. They go to this place called Black Star Canyon, which is known. It's like that place that everyone goes. That's like creepy and spooky. And you go there to just like drink and have fun. And um, she got in the car with them. They were driving. They made a sharp left turn. Um, the specifics of what happened, you know, someone said in court that there was a deer that jumped out and um they lost control of the car i uh and the driver ended up getting arrested for vehicular manslaughter because he was it did come out he was drinking yeah they were just drunk driving through the mountains he lost speed um and she was ejected from the vehicle and died of internal bleeding so um yeah it was yeah the night before the night going into her senior year it was super it was so tragic and um i i really got to see the community come together though you know um around my mom her friends she had so many friends the next day there's pictures all over the school and um yeah yeah it was that's terrible pretty wild yeah yeah um but it's just like these are things like kid I don't know. I don't know. You can't really um put words to it, but it's like you don't think that's the reality of it, right? Like yeah. you're just having fun. We're just having fun. Like yeah. just going to this spooky place, having some drinks. You know, even my mom would tell stories about like abnormal family again, but you know, throwing watermelons off the second story of a mall you know well what if it like crushed someone's head and they died you know yeah Yeah, you never think it's just the complex of like uh you know and not me it wouldn't happen to me you guys as my audience you know i'm concerned about your well-being i want to make sure that you are living your best life and that is why i've paired up with well-being brewing 
to help raise your well-being and give you 10% off anything you want to order from wellbeingbrewing.com. Go over there, check it out. Whether you want to be intentional with your non-alcoholic beers and get an intentional IPA, which is in my top three, or uh, maybe you're an exercise person. I don't know what that's like, but <laughs> if that's who you are, their Victory Wheat uh, has electrolytes in it. And you guys, it's non-alcoholic beer, so you're not going to get dehydrated from the alcohol. It, you can literally rehydrate yourself while enjoying a nice uh, wheat beer with a little lemon on it. And I mean, what could be better than that? Set your intentions, raise well-being, head over to wellbeingbrewing.com and save 10% using code friend request at checkout. All right. Okay. Back to the show. All right. Like, you know, exactly. Um, and I think we're all guilty of that. Uh, whether, you know, whether you drink or, or anything, it doesn't matter. Like humans, we have the, there's some form of the ego where we're like, Oh, this can never happen to me. And, of course, I suppose there's there's a few people with the flip side of that that are super anxious that like everything will happen yeah. to me. <laughs> but <laughs> I think for the most part, yeah, a lot of people. I mean, shit, I've known so many people. I've uh, it's just so stupid, and and you, but you always think in the moment. I was like, no, I'm like, how many people do you know? I've been like, no, I'm good at it. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's the stupidest fucking thing. Uh, and the older you get, the more you're like. Oh, how dumb, how dumb I was. I was so fucking dumb. Um, Right. And and like, what's even worse is after that, I still drank and drove. Like that is the insanity, right? The insanity of alcoholism is like, I I drove after that, like drunk. Yeah. Well, Um, I mean, imagine that was your known coping method at that point. Yeah. 100%. So what what does that look like? What does the fallout of that look like? Um, um, so I thought I didn't give a shit before, but I really didn't give a shit now. (laughs) Um, I, I was already in this toxic relationship with the guy that was, um, sabotaging my relationship with my family and sabotaging my relationship with friends. So, um, I just, you know, I had this thing in my head where it's like, well, maybe do the geographical thing you know i'm a college student i can go wander around the country and go see it i don't know end up i don't know in a different i don't know i don't know what i was thinking but i went off with this guy um who man i had a terrible fucking time but (laughs) um and then my mom was absolutely just wrecked as you can imagine um and then uh, my older sister she was starting to um her health was really starting to go downhill so this is really like the dark night of the spirit for everyone yeah. um yeah so did you end up traveling around the country yeah i did I did. Which for how is long like something did you do I, that? <laughs> um, I did this for maybe the timeline so shot out because I was like gone, but maybe two and a half years. I went. Oh, wow. I lived in Yosemite National Park for a little bit. I like slept in my car um, during the winter, and I saw like so much snow. You know, like this sounds like wow, like super miserable but these are actually pretty good memories now that i look back and i'm happy i did this but i uh yeah so i slept in yosemite national park i lived up in santa cruz on a honey lavender bee farm um kathy i owe you some rent if you're listening to this (laughs) um were you with the guy (laughs) that whole time those two and a half years yeah yeah you know, it, that was like fucking awful, yeah. like completely awful. But I mean, I, I learned how to dissociate really well. And um, during this time, and I think, you know, it it's not a useful tool now, but it was useful then. And um, 
Yeah, I mean, when I was living on that lavender bee farm is the first time I was shoved by him. And I just remember thinking, because he shoved me and my back hit some like concrete stones or whatever. And I thought in my head, like, oh my God, like, I cannot believe this is me. Like, yeah. like this is what I saw my mom and dad do growing up. Like I'm a statistic. I'm that person, right. That's, um, that can't get out of this whole family dysfunction loop. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I was, with him going to all these places, it was always like, Oh, we'll make it work here. Right. We'll make it, we just need to get jobs and then we'll make it work. <laughs> like it was chaos. That's gotta be, so, um, that's gotta be rough. Um, and I feel like I've done this when, with my dad once or twice in my life where you kind of see outside your body and be like, Oh, I am like, I'm just another generational thing. I'm doing this, you know, like my dad was an alcoholic, died at 65, um, from alcoholism. And, and like, there were times when I would just kind of see myself making terrible decisions and, and being drunk and being like, Oh, I, yeah, I'm my father's son. <laughs> like, uh, and I wonder for you, like, what was that like for in that moment? And did it end up giving you strength afterwards? Does that question make sense? Like, how did you end up getting out of that relationship? Um, man, I was in that relationship for years, like six years. So from, uh, okay. So my time, (laughs) 19, I met him when I was 19. Um, little sister passed away at 19 to 20 area and I, I stayed with him all the way till I got sober in 2017. Oh, wow. So, um, that relationship is really what rocketed me into my, um, my bottom, you know, um, the sexual, the, uh, emotional, the physical abuse, like that will take someone's spirit. <laughs> like that will rip your spirit uh, apart after, and I can't like, and then, uh, what's that one syndrome where you like fall in love with your Stockholm chapter? syndrome? Yeah. Stockholm. Yeah. I, I, I sincerely believe I had Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. Um, I was, I couldn't leave. It wasn't like, it's crazy how those relationships will just like blind you. Yeah. It, it makes you believe you're worthless, that you can't do it on your own, that, Um, there's no one that's going to care about you. He's the only one that's going to take care of you, you know, like, Oh, so weird. Um, looking back with that experience, um, now behind you and kind of processing things, did that end up giving you a little more like empathy for your mother's experience when you think back to her relationships? 100%, 100%. Yeah. I think, um, the older I got, like this whole mirroring thing was like, I, in my teens, I really like, I hated my mom because I was becoming her. And then I became like, I started hating myself. And like, it was just this whole, uh, contradiction. It was so weird. And like these experiences, yeah, exactly what you said. It, helped me understand and like grow empathy and throughout all of this crap like my mom was the only one to there was a point where I ended up in Hawaii um and I'd been I'd been sleeping on the beaches for like three months and um it was my last quarter I remember it was like my last quarter I, my purse had gotten stolen the first night I was there. So I had no phone. I had no ID. I had nothing. And, um, it, I, I, I was like, if I'm going to survive, I better use this quarter to call my mom. And my mom flew me back. Like she was always, I didn't deserve that. I definitely did not deserve that. Um, so yeah, me and her are so much alike and we have an amazing relationship today. 
That's um, good. Yeah. <laughs> so let's 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 jump to recovery. Let's jump to to getting sober. What's your sober date? My sober date? I, I get four years tomorrow. Oh, so oh my God! Congratulations! 1st. I know. <laughs> well, that's worked out. Thank you. Timing wise. Yeah. December first, twenty seventeen. Yeah. You said. Yeah. Well, I guess yep. that's four years. Yeah. Congrats. That's awesome. Thank um, you. What yeah. what what did that look like? What what made that decision happen? And how did you how did you do um, that? <laughs> so <laughs> so um what so okay I come back from Hawaii. My mom bails me out. I run back to the dude. Um, I'm living in a trap house and a trap house in Tustin, California, where I'm living with prostitutes, drug dealers. Um, there's like five dogs in the house. They're all shitting all over the place and, um, no one's taking care of them. There's needles in the drawers and I'm just there drinking myself to death in the bedroom. And, um, I don't know. I eventually got my second DUI and I do some time. I do uh, 90 days at the farm here or in Irvine. And, um, I know if I get a third DUI, I am screwed. I'm like done, you know, and, uh, it like, I had already lost my emotional freedom. I'd already lost my mental freedom. You know, the only thing I hadn't lost yet was my physical freedom and that was being threatened now. So, um, I don't know. That was it. I was so miserable. I had no more answers. I always had a plan. I just didn't have a plan this time. And I knew that I needed to get help. Like I could not stop drinking unless I really gave it a shot. So did you, I, uh, did, did, were you kind of, were you forced to, cause you didn't drink, I'm guessing the 90 days you were in, in jail. No. So I came out, I drank right the night I okay. came out of jail. Yeah. Um, and like, I, I was like, okay, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> like I was sure I was an alcoholic yeah. now. Um, because it was against my will, you know, it was just so baffling. And I was drinking, like, I, I would just show up at the liquor store, you know, um, I couldn't say no. And yeah, I had, it was a part of my classes from the court system and my probation to go to an outpatient treatment, yeah. um, go to the AA meetings. And I, I told myself, I'm going to give this thing a shot. Like, I'm going to actually apply myself and try to listen and learn. And, um, I don't want to die. <laughs> That's really what it came down to. So what, how much, how far after you get out of jail, do you just, or like you're doing the program, but you said you drank right when you got out. How long? Yeah. So like what's that timeline look like before you like, before December 1st hits and you, and you're saying like, this is my sober. Right. I don't, that's like very, it's very strange because like, I don't remember my last drink. Um, it was very like, it wasn't like an event. It wasn't like a bright light moment. It was just like, I was, I remember going to outpatient and I think I was still drinking and, um, I was even still talking to my ex. Like he would wait outside for me to come out and, you know, like just stalk the area while I was in there. And, um, I don't know. I don't know what changed, but I like, it was just lifted from, it's like very unexplainable. But one day I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) Like I'm tired. I, I don't know if it was, I don't know what it was. I just, I don't, I, I don't know the exact timeline. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> it's funny. Cause I, I feel like when people do, and I mean, I speak from personal experience, but also just stories I've heard where if you do kind of set a date and you, you do like the, the famous, the last hurrah and shit like that, like it doesn't typically work out <laughs> like cause you're building it up. At, right. And it's not something that, it's almost like, oh, I have to give this up. And instead of saying you have to give it up and, and when you actually want to quit drinking, you're like, oh, I like just can't do this anymore. 
Um, yeah. So it kind I mean, of makes I did sense. have this, I did have this one, um, freaky experience, which, you know, I, I'm not a religious person by any means. Um, yeah. my grandma though, <laughs> um, she was a part of this cult called BNP that originated in the Philippines. And, um, there's some podcasts out there that talk about, you know, this, you know, I feel like cult is a harsh word, but they fall <laughs> into the category of cult. Yeah. Anyways, um, sometime after my DUI, uh, I asked my grandma, grandma, what do you think I should do? You know, my grandma like is so far removed from like, she's a very simple woman. Like she doesn't, she can barely speak English. She's like, Oh, I know what you should do. You should go to BNP this, they have a retreat coming up and you should go. And I'm like, I'm like laying on her couch, probably like detoxing. And I say like, Oh, will they have like food? Will they have TV? And you know, like that was all I wanted. And she was like, yeah, yeah, we'll have it. Um, I was like, well, I have my own bedroom. And she's like, yeah, it will be so fun. And I went and, um, this, this isn't a sound like a fake, it's not a fake story. I swear (laughs) I go, um, they have this facility in Ontario, uh, California, which is out in this like desolate area. There's nothing around. It's, they have this huge facility and I, I, um, I get there, I have my bags, I'm ready to just watch TV and eat and, you know, hang out. Um, I walk into the facility, they say like, okay, we need your bags and we need your phone. And I say like, whoa, 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 like, hold on one moment. I need to step outside real quick. Um, I hide my phone in my bra. There's no way I'm giving that to them. Like, I have no idea what's about to happen. And I go back inside and I, over the next like 72 hours, I'm stuck in this facility with no windows. Um, they're playing these tapes over the speaker phones of, um, like scripture. And they have this deity they called sister Salve, who was alive at the time. She's passed away now, uh, recently RIP sister Salve. But, um, um, they had us at one point they had us, um, like crawl down this red lit hallway and at the end of the hallway there's this jesus like mannequin that they would have in different parts of this retreat and they had us crawl down the hallway the nuns were kneeling and um i got to the end and you have to like kiss this mannequin jesus's foot and i refuse i'm like there's no way i'm doing this <laughs> and the nun's like pushing me down I'm like nope i'm not doing it um anyways i call my mom <laughs> like, mom like you need to come pick me up and my mom is sick of my shit like she's sick of coming and rescuing me and she's like no <laughs> you get to stay there yeah. um okay the freaky part is i don't drink after that that like this story like i wasn't like i do remember praying honestly praying there um i didn't believe in what like they were spewing but i remember talking to god and being like i don't know what i'm doing i have no idea um you know turning my will over to something i didn't know what it was but I'm in this bizarre situation. So fucking bizarre. Like I need to try something. Um, so yeah, I I completely, there's something to be said about that. Right. Cause I mean, I'm not religious at all either. And, but you, you just mentioned, I think the big turning point there, which is, you know, part of AA, right. Is, is admitting that like, you can't do this, right. You're, you're powerless. Uh, you know, you don't have to be like religious, I feel like, to to have at least that realization. And I think saying that either out loud or in your head to the point where you believe it uh, is pretty powerful on its own. Uh, oh, yeah. So I, yeah, 100%. What, what does recovery look like? Four years tomorrow is, uh, I mean, that's a big deal. And, and it, it's funny, I, I talked to my therapist about 
being like I'm almost two and a half years sober and she the second I said that because I was talking about how I feel imposter syndrome like in sobriety groups and uh, amongst everything else you know we talk about that in artist way and stuff <laughs> in everything I do there's a level of imposter syndrome um, but the thing that surprised me was having it in sobriety and she's like oh well you're you know early in sobriety so like you're still you know relearning things and stuff and I felt a little arrogant because I was like no I already know things what are you what are you talking about <laughs> and I'm wondering if you relate to that at all and and what that early sobriety like the first year or two looked like compared to now and and how you managed to still be like an active member of that community yeah there's like nine questions uh. there <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love talking about recovery and um, community, especially. Um, but I, I say I, I grew up in um, the rooms. The first six months, I was so uncomfortable in my own skin. I was so paranoid. I was just mentally in a fog, in a wreck. Um, talking, I would have these moments where I would dissociate and I wouldn't know where I am. Um, someone would come up to give me a high five and I'd think they're like going to hit me. So I'd flinch. Um, I was, I was just very unfunctioning, um, like low functioning. And, uh, I think it was around, yeah, it was around the six month mark that I, I started to like take a deep breath and like trust the fellowship trust the people around me and mm. i could let my hair down a little bit and i really really started enjoying um the outings you know i would start going to the things that people invited me to yeah i i had a blast i i can remember the first time like i left a meeting and looking up at the skyline and being like whoa like the world is huge like the world like there's so many possibilities here um, like these positive thoughts just started like slow dripping into my mind. And, um, it, it was very few and far between at first. And then, um, yeah, I, I mean, the first year is really like holding on to the seat of your pants. It's like, Ooh, am I going to make this? Like what the hell is going on? And then I feel like the second year is like, okay. I've made it a first year. Now, what is it about? Like, what's going on, you know? Um, and that's when my, I started having to work on my, like, emotional sobriety. Mm -hmm. The codependency was still very much alive and well. Um, and it was, it was sabotaging my happiness from, you know, being free of drugs and alcohol. So I had to start a program for that. And, um, my third year, I hate the word discipline. Um, I absolutely hate it. I've hated it my entire life. Uh, but I've had to learn how to be an adult, you know, scheduling, you know, time management, saying no, um, putting up boundaries and, uh, yeah, adulting. That's year three. And then I don't know. <laughs> um, Year four, I feel like, I don't know, I, I've been reflecting on the word love a lot, like how to love from a place of um, no strings attached, you know, how to really just love someone and not in a romantic way, just, um, you know, wanting like freedom for the other person and how can I bring freedom to the people in my life, you know, um, what does that look like? Because I think where we for well, just while you're talking about love, like what does that look like in finding a way to love yourself? Hmm. Yeah, that's a tricky part. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, that's that's my biggest struggle, right? Um, I think I I'm definitely made a a huge I, I of course I've made a huge like I've done a lot of work on that you know um, 
and that is really yeah i think that's gonna that's another part to it it's yeah. how do i really love myself and um <laughs> the affirmation same girl um, same yeah yeah <laughs> uh-huh. um spending time taking you know doing the things i love yeah right doing things like this um say, saying yes to things <laughs> the artist yeah yeah uh, that's that's been a huge thing community like my what is who are my people, like the people I connect with and um, who fills my cup. It's, and it's crazy that I, I found so many on clubhouse. Like yeah. there's very few people like I can like explain this to unless you've been on the app and spent time on it. When I explained it to like my friends, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. I've met so many beautiful, wonderful people on that app uh, that probably know more about me than the people I've spent the last four years with in my home group. So, um, yeah, they teach me to love myself too. Um, and yeah, I don't know. So where where are you at today? What uh, what? Not today, literally, but well, I guess today, yeah. literally, tomorrow's four years sober. Um, I mean, how how are things? How are like comparing to where you were to where you are? Um, relationships, yeah. your mental state, your relationships with your family, with with uh, whatever uh, romantic relationships, anything like that. Sure. Um. Yeah, I mean. When I came in, I'll start with the material because it's the least important here. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, you know, someone might want to hear about that because I'm not living in a trap house anymore. <laughs> um, so when I came into sobriety, I, I don't know, like, um, the, the feeling of, like, true friendship yet. I don't know, like, these amazing um, – feelings that life can give you. So like someone asked me, what are, what are three things you want out of uh, sobriety? And I said, I want a house in Laguna beach with a white picket fence. And I want the dog and I want to be married to a hot soccer player. Like those are the things I said. Um, <laughs> just so, you know, looking through, looking at life through a pinhole and, um, I didn't get the famous soccer player, husband but i did get like a house in corona del mar which is the next city over um i have the dog i have a brown fence you know <laughs> i got those things yeah. pretty much you know pretty fucking close um so those are the material things i have a driver's license getting my driver's license was huge um so yeah i got like what else um i'm in a three-year relationship and that's been um difficult uh but also extremely rewarding from where we started to where we're at now um we started couples counseling not because things were going bad just because we both have backgrounds that don't really set us up for success and this is just something we should be yeah. doing um and we love our therapist he she took me through EMDR and he's going through EMDR right now. Um, he, you know, he's my best friend and we obviously know relationships perfect, but yeah. this is, I've never had it this good. You know, he loves me for me. Um, and like, yeah, it's like, cool. You know, yeah. it's like we're doing we're doing life together and it feels good to be supported and not feel like I'm being held prisoner and not doing that to him yeah, um, sure. and figuring out ways to, you know, like I said, with love, like how can I make him feel as free as possible, you know, yeah. to do whatever he wants to do in life and to make him happy. Um, yeah, I like we don't know if we want kids. We we've talked about it. Like we have a pug and we're happy with that. We don't like, we have a five-year plan, but we can go off track. It's not like 
you know, it has to be this way, this way. Like, we're very just like, yeah. if it happens, it happens. <laughs> yeah. Nothing um, wrong with that. Maybe we should, maybe we should get another plug. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what role um, has art played throughout this? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> art. Okay. So my stepdad, Ron, he came after the divorce with my biological um, father. And if I have like a father figure in my life, it's going to be Ron. Um, he introduced me to like, he ha had all the records. He had um, the Beatles, the Doors, Led Zeppelin, you know, um, just rock and roll. I like, and Salvador, Salvador Dali posters all around the house. Now I have one right there. Like he, he's traveled the world. Um, he also has a, like a rebellious story. Um, he AWOLed from the military in the seventies, you know, like it, he was just a really awesome dude. And, um, he opened the world of art to me. And when I started doing psychedelics, um, art was like this, it was a spiritual connection, something outside myself. Mm -hmm. And it started with psychedelics. But when I started creating art, I was feeling, you know, it was a way to feel, um, which my, my emotions were so skewed from my upbringing that it was almost like I was trying to communicate. Um, cause I didn't know how to, yeah. so I would, I would always be like doodling and, um, I, I painted a stump in high school, like someone cut down a tree and I painted the stump and I would make friends like little drawings and it gave me just so much, like, it just made me feel really good. Um, and I haven't stopped. Yeah. And I just keep trying to, um, build on that part of my life. Did your know. connection it's with art, special to me. did it change at all when you got sober? I had to put it down for a little bit. Yeah. Um, I don't think I ever quite like stopped doodling, but it definitely wasn't at the forefront of my mind. Um, my first two years, you know, I, I had to learn how to socialize. And, <laughs> bigger things um, to take care of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there was never a doubt in my mind. I wasn't going to come back to it though. Yeah. I just, just needed to chill for a second, <laughs> yeah. sweat it out. Well, you, you've, in addition to recovery, uh, you've started this new group with the artist way and, uh, kind of built another community within a community <laughs> of, uh, of all the artists yeah. uh, that are, I don't know, going through some form of block or at least looking to expand what, the, what they're doing. And, it's so it's it's really cool just meeting you how we met through clubhouse like you mentioned and and trying to explain that to outsiders is so funny and, and now that this art community and it's fun to have that connection with people um just as a creative and i feel like there's there's a different way to see the world if you're artistic and or creative than 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 other people not not that it's bad i'm just you know it's uh, creative people tend to have different viewpoints on things than uh those crazy non-creators yeah. um i did want to point out something Let's you said weird <laughs> <laughs> uh, i thought this was really ironic and, and kind of beautiful you said uh, when you were getting sober like after you after like six months, you, you went outside and you looked around and you're like, oh, what a big world, like all the possibilities. And it's funny to me that after six months of sobriety, you can go out there and look and, and say that. But when you were using and in a, an abusive relationship and actually seeing the world, <laughs> uh, you didn't see as much uh, in it. As you, as you did just walking outside totally. of a meeting. There's something, there's something yeah. ironic and beautiful about that. 
that's that's all yeah, I got. This... <laughs> what were you gonna say? Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say, yeah, the view um, outside the meeting. Like, I ended up coming back to my hometown to get sober, which has kind of been um, not. I feel like a lot of people get sober like somewhere else. They go to treatment not out there in their hometown. And, um, I moved back home and did all that, but the meeting I'd left and walked out, like this view is the same view I've, I've looked at since I was like six years old. You know, I drove past it every week and that light bulb just comes on. It's an absolute miracle. Like, um, and yeah, it, it is a very, it was a very, very special, um, turning point in my sobriety. So um, yeah. Well, that's awesome. And congrats on four years. Is there anything I didn't talk about you want to talk about? <laughs> I think I spanned your life. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you covered all the bases. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for doing it. I, you are was... awesome. And well, thanks. <laughs> I love, uh, I love, I love the vibe that you just bring it. You've always just been, um, very easy to talk to so super positive and just um yeah i love i love doing this thing with you and being a fellow traveler so thank you yeah i'm glad to be that 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 area that arena of breaking up the the woe is me stories uh well awesome kat Um, thank you so much for doing this and thank you justin well, it was awesome seeing you and talking to you, not yeah. just in an audio form. <laughs> and, yeah, and, it was my pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'll see you tomorrow, or I'll talk to you tomorrow night. Absolutely. When I have lots in common, my request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? All right, you just listened to my interview with Kat. You guys, that was so good. It was, I could literally just listen to her tell stories all day. She's got the the nicest personality and voice, and I think her kindness comes through in her voice and, and the things she's overcome um, and losing her sister and going through the steps of, of forgiving herself and forgiving others and just a role model, an all-around role model. Uh, I'm so happy that I know her and the community that she's continuing to build uh, better and stronger and more creative every day. She's a real inspiration. I was very fortunate to have this time with her. So I hope you guys feel some of that as well and look forward to more of that. Thank you so much to Kat and thank you to each and every one of you. Make sure if you're not already, head over to patreon.com slash friendrequestpod. You can pay a dollar or nine a month, get some extra bonus material, find out about stuff before it happens, and uh, occasionally a personal note from yours truly. Nobody ever requests that. But, you know, if they want it, it's there. Uh, Head over there and join today. I will talk to you guys next week. Until then, happy Hanukkah and goodbye. Okay, bye-bye.